Welcome to PNCC Speak, the language of executives. I'm Nell McCormack-Abom, alongside my co-host, Jim Hohen, Central Pennsylvania Regional President of PNC Bank. Well, thanks, Nell. PNCC Speak, the language of executives, is a podcast that features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge-sharing platform showcases leaders with forward-thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Bob Scare, Chairman and CEO of Gannett Fleming, a global engineering and infrastructure company with more than 3,000 employees across a global network of 60 offices. They are leaders in resilient and sustainable planning, design, and technology that withstand the forces of a rapidly changing world. Bob, welcome, and we're so pleased to have you with us today at C-Speak. I'm pleased to be here today. Thank you. Well, Bob, Gannett Fleming's headquartered right here in Camp Hill, but it's global in scope. Can you tell us a little bit more about Gannett Fleming and maybe some things we don't know about? Well, I'll start with maybe some facts that you don't know about Gannett Fleming. When Gannett started, we focused on acquiring utility companies, water companies or electric companies, refurbishing them and then selling them. While we started in the Northeast region. We worked our way south across America and actually did a little bit of business down in South America. So we've come a long way from that to a company that's got 65 offices and provide engineering services for roads, bridges, dams, water facilities, transit facilities, you know, pharma built, uh, pharma lab construction, that kind of thing. How many continents uh, is Gannett Fleming? transcend these days? Well, continents, there would be two. Okay. Our, our predominant international focus is up in Canada, mm-hmm. but we do have a little small um, operation in the Middle East. Well, you know, when you talked about uh, infrastructure, which is primarily what you do, bridges, roads, uh, yep. all kinds of um, buildings related to that, you're really at the sweet spot of a national conversation about the need to invest in infrastructure. Why is that so crucial to growing the economy, not just here in central Pennsylvania, but really around the, the country and the world? Well, we have to be able to compete globally. And unfortunately, for many years, we've neglected the investment in our, of our infrastructure. And our country sees the need to be more resilient. And for the first time, we got both sides of the aisle seeing this. We have businesses recognizing from the COVID pandemic the importance of being resilient. And so there's a lot of conversation about onshoring and bringing businesses back. But to be competitive, we have to have the infrastructure to be able to support those businesses here and to be able to move and distribute goods in a very efficient way. Hey, Bob, it was very interesting as, as you talk about all the good work that Gannett Fleming has done in its history. Certainly one of the things that we've all just faced over the course of the last two and a half to three years now is the pandemic. Can you tell me a little bit about how Gannett Fleming had to change the way it operated in order to meet the needs of your clients? Yeah, a um, couple of things with that um, that are important. Uh, one is there's the technology aspect of that and being able to physically or connect and be able to do do the job and deliver that excellence as promised. But there's also a culture element that's related to that and how you work together as in teams and still be strong as a team to be able to deliver that excellence. So we were very fortunate that um, we had the technology in place. So when, when the COVID pandemic began, 
we we were able to pull the trigger and like within three days we had everybody working remotely from home we had um, supplied them with the technology that they needed and with the the back office or framework in place we were able to seamlessly work remotely and much to my amazement and delight we were able to do it really well um, but this cultural element of this family, this connectivity, this concern over each other was very apparent. And so we were able to contain, have that unity as a company, even though everybody was working out of their individual houses. But how does that work? Like, in other words, lots of executives talk about the culture of their company. What is the culture at Gannett Fleming? But also now, as we said, you have uh, almost 3,000 employees, 65 offices, and you went through the pandemic, et cetera. What does your culture say? And how do you find is the best way to translate that in a way that it's embraced by management and the employees, and especially during crises like the pandemic? Yeah, uh, we are very proud of our culture at Gannett Fleming. Um, it's a culture where we would say we are a very family-oriented company. We're we're almost 3,000 people. We're 65 offices, yet we feel like an app act as though we're a very small company. And it's culture that allows that to happen. So, um, but it's easy to say culture, we have a great culture. Everybody says we, we have a great culture. You know, I would say what caused that, causes that again at Fleming is our focus on two things. One is delivering excellence. And to do that, you have to invest in, in your employees to be innovative, think out of the box, constantly challenge them to deliver better value, but also be willing to invest in them, to teach them, to mentor them and, um, um, you know, through learning programs and teaching programs, stuff like that. Um, and so at Gana Fleming, we do invest in our employees. We empower them. We, we spend a good amount of money on training and learning and mentorship because we have a responsibility that every one of our scientists and engineers at Gannett Fleming become thought leaders. We want everybody to become that best of the best that our clients can come to Gannett Fleming to get so that we have that superior excellence delivered as promised. So, but and, like that, I, and that I should say that does manifest itself because Jim and I have talked when um, my oldest son was a uh, mechanical engineering major at Georgia Tech. He did an internship in the summer at Gannett Fleming, and he terrific. he said, "Yeah, it was amazing." He said, "What really impressed him was that the people overseeing him explained to him how the work he was doing directly went to the business bottom line, both that culture, the commitment to excellence." the commitment to the client to listen, et cetera. And so he said, I felt invested in my work and in the company and in my coworkers. That's the translation that has to happen to every single employee. And when it will pay off right. is probably during a crisis, right? And yeah, so first of all, very excited to hear that what you just said and to hear that from a different lens that, that what I hope is happening actually did happen. So that, that's great. But you're correct. When you really get into a crisis is when you learn, is your culture really what you've been saying it to be? So COVID was a crisis of a sense. And I would say we passed that with flying colors and our culture had a big a role in that. But in the middle, right at actually a couple months into COVID, we had a cyber attack, a very significant cyber attack. And that on top of COVID, if you can imagine coming in and all of a sudden not have any of your systems available to you 
to almost 3,000 of your employees all working from home. What a dilemma that puts you in, in terms of leading to be able to deliver your services. You know, what are your employees thinking? And our culture, I believe, is critical. While having two crises that went, might have crippled most companies, we thrived. We worked together. How, we worked how did as, you do it? How did you, as the, the chairman CEO, when that hit, how, what went through your mind about how to handle this? And were, were there a few moments where your heartbeat was definitely above the recommended? <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. Um, actually, when it first started was a Saturday morning. And I, I maybe don't want to get in too much detail here. But, you know, Saturday morning, I get the call that we have uh, the cyber attack. And it's going and it was underway. And I would view our security as really good, above average. And I thought, okay, I got that. You know, let me know. As soon as you get it resolved, let me know. Well, Saturday came and went, and we're into Sunday morning, and I'm starting to get a little concerned. We're trying to get our hands around it. And it's it's a lot more um, total than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it took to the second day till we realized this is a complete situation here. And so all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, now what? So um, fortunately we have a lot of crisis management planning in place. And a couple of things I did as a CEO to, to address your question directly. Um, first, I had to isolate my technology group because they had a puzzle to solve. And they, so you didn't want distractions from this them. This was their was first it. priority. <laughs> yeah. Well, th well, think about it this yeah. way. I have these almost 3,000 employees all working from their home trying to serve clients. Mm -hmm. They all have deadlines. They have projects. They have deliveries. They got a proposal that's going out tomorrow or a presentation on Friday, and they can't get access to their information. So the voices are very many, and they're very loud. And I couldn't let my um, chief technology mm -hmm. officer be distracted from that. I had I put him behind me, and I became the firewall and said, you have a puzzle to solve. Tell me what you need. I'll give it to you. But I'm going to leave you. I'm going to make sure nobody's been able to contact you except through me. So I was able to isolate him. The second thing um, it was communication is huge. And um, internally, I'm very pleased with the approach we took. Um, we immediately told our employees what was going on. Uh, we talked to them every single day. I had a briefing with my board every single day. And as we progressed through the crisis, those days became further apart. But we were transparent and telling them exactly the situation. Now, to do that does offer you some risk because you, you give them the best information you have. And I can tell somebody, well, you're going to get your data or your files on Friday. But then you learn that something happened and you can't get it on Friday and it might be another week. So you constantly, it's every day, updating everybody. This is the situation we have and giving them the truth. And sometimes that truth evolves. And, and not being afraid to do that was one thing. Now, on the other side, on the external side, we had a decision to make. You know, what do we do? What do we tell? Do we tell our clients that we had a cyber attack? And back to this thing called culture. It's uh, one where uh, we are always transparent with our clients. They are our partners 
that's the way we view going into projects. And so we decided to be open with them and honest with them. And we told them exactly what was happening. We told them we had secured our systems enough that we could work with them safely. We told them that what we were, you know, under and that uh, we asked for their little bit of patience as we tried to get and negotiate through this. And as it turns out, um, and maybe I should start by saying, you know, Bob Scare thought, all right, on Saturday morning, we'll get this baby resolved by Sunday. And then I thought, well, maybe I have to give everybody a day off on Monday. And all I can say is several months later, we were able to get the files back to all of our employees. So there's a whole lot of culture and innovation and ingenuity and sheer will of our employees to not let Gannon Fleming fail, which is all part of culture as well, that was part of our success. But communicating with our employees, our, sorry, the clients the way we did was critical. And interestingly enough, because you're very vulnerable to say, hey, this has happened to us. You're safe. We're not going to harm you, but we aren't going to let you down. When it's all over, I actually think that the relationships that we had with our clients are stronger than they were before we started. And we didn't lose a client. We never failed to deliver on anything. Um, so, you know, at the end of the story, you know, we came through this oh, very well. Hey, Bob, um, I'm very curious. Uh, what can our listeners learn about, you know, should they ever face a situation like this? You know, you and I have talked a little bit outside of this, but there's a whole different dimension and almost a, a, a service level of uh, on the exterior what, that, that I was totally unaware of. You probably were, too, before this. Can you talk a little bit about what exists in the outside world? Yeah, um, and this was quite an education for me. What I described before was this is how we dealt with it internally. But externally, um, there's a whole industry that has grown up around this, and which I find to be a very sad thing, but it's a very important thing as well. And, and as far as advice, um, the sooner you recognize that you need to bring in experts, the better. It took me a few days because of, I guess maybe I thought with my ego, we could solve this on our own. We could not. So we had to reach out and Believe it or not, there are legal firms, there are technology firms, there are negotiating firms out there just for this. You need to you need to reach out. You need to get them in your employee and start working to solve this problem. You need to connect, contact the FBI. And I, you know, I guess my advice on this was: if this happens to you, first of all, you should have already had you know crisis management, and you should be prepared on how you're going to handle the situation. And you're not trying to figure this out in the middle of the crisis. Um, but regardless, um, you need to employ these folks. You need to get them on board to steer you through it because you need to do this um, in a way that keeps you legal. And, and that's what we did. Over the last uh, couple of years during the pandemic, we had the Great Resignation, where I think, um, what was the figure, um, Americans, some 4 million Americans left their jobs in 2021. Um, and now there's this idea of quiet quitting, where workers are saying, you know what, I'm going to do just what I need to do to get the job done, not that over and above stuff that happened pre-pandemic. How? What is it about 
how you instill in your employees this sense of family and kind of duty to client, et cetera. How are you managing these things? And is there a generational difference in the age of your workers and their their attitude towards quiet quitting and the great resignation? Well, that's a, a very relevant question to the my current situation. Um, I explained before that we had moved to a hybrid or, you know, working from home environment just seamlessly. Um, but we have an obligation of turning every single one of our scientists and engineers into thought leaders. And yes, you can do that remotely. But I'm really concerned about that random interaction with your boss, you know, where um, um, you're face to face in an office setting. And um, where he can look over your shoulder and point to that and challenge you and steer you in a different direction. And quite honestly, um, I think where you're face-to-face, the more willingness to give you a challenging assignment because he's right or she is right there to work with you and help you through that situation. So, you know, I have this obligation and I felt this, we have to get back into the office at least at some point. And, and what is that going to mean? And so how we did it at Gana Fleming was, again, back to this um, culture and family and communication is we held fireside chats and we discussed the issue and our need to mentor them to greatness to these thought leaders and our concern for that. You know, the, the also that family bond or that family relationship you get around the water cooler. Would you do this weekend and the score of the game? You know, I, I'm concerned that, that 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 wasn't happening. And so in the face of that, and we did polling and asked them their questions. And so we asked them, you know, getting back to the office, what's important to you? And back to your generational uh, issue. Uh, in general, there was a, a feeling like, yes, there is value to getting back in, in the office. But, but if I'm going to go back in the office, it has to be meaningful that means my supervisor needs to be there. If I go into the office and I'm sitting in a cubicle and it's no different than sitting at home, that's a waste of my time. Um, so and, most, and you said, you were, as you looked at it as a CEO, did you feel you had to make a hard and fast decision? We're going back five days a week or we're going to have a hybrid system, but the hybrid system has to include two or three days. You, ultimately, that decision comes down to you, right? And how did yes, you make and it? and has implications. Yes. It does. And... <laughs> So um, there is generational differences. And I told you I polled our um, employees and asked them these very direct questions. And, you know, on one, you know, so when you look at the the Gen Zs, they are very eager and almost similar to the boomers. Working back in the office is good. And the Gen Xers, too, as well. Um, very similar. Most of them say, you know, but probably two days a week's probably good enough. Something like that. Right. Um, uh, but the millennials. They're like, I think we're just fine. You know, if, if I need to get back in the office, you know, I will if, I, it, if it needs to happen. But otherwise, I think I'm just fine. And that seems – that makes sense to me. You know, these, these are, that's the generation that probably is the most busy with the kids and all that going on. So that's, that's the issue. Um, I had to get everybody back in the office some way. And I decided that in the end, this is all going to come to an equilibrium. And it's probably going to take a year, maybe a year and a half for this all to settle out. And what I really need to do is just get the, to prime the pump, just get it started. 
And so I decided to make a mandate, and it starts today. Actually, oddly enough, it starts today that they have to get back in the office at least one day a week. But to be meaningful, you must you must be in the office with your team, and your supervisor mm-hmm. must be present. Feel free to do more. It'd be great right. if you could one, two, or three days. That's fine. So to kind of make it a little fun, we are buying lunches twice a week, and that's all being co- coordinated as kind of an encouragement, like welcome back. And here's a sidebar on this. Through the pandemic, I made a purposeful trip to a lot of the offices to meet with the staff. And that was a means by which everybody would come back to the office and we'd have lunch or breakfast or something like that. When you would bring these employees together, they hadn't seen each other for the longest time. You, It was just like an amazing atmosphere, the excitement, the laughter. I mean, it was more about that than listening to me. So I felt that if we could just get it started, that's going to start to happen. So this week, we're starting. It's one day a week. I felt it was a huge mistake to try to draw on the line on anything more than that. I don't want to – I can't afford to lose any good employees on this. We all enjoy the benefits of working from them. So do I. So as long as it's meaningful, purposeful, let's try one day a week. And we'll see where we go from there. And, Jim, it just strikes me that it's an issue that when you were first starting your career, the idea that people would be working from home in the kind of industry you're in was sort of unthinkable. And that's the the flexibility, the adaptability, and the foresight that leadership really has to have, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, and it's, it's also the balancing, though, for the responsibility to groom either new employees to that culture you talked about, Bob, or new new in their careers is that, you know, if you're going to create sustainability in a Gannett Fleming or any other business, you've got to build the talent workforce. And I know in your world, especially in the STEM, the engineering, the sciences, we need more engineers. We need more scientists. And I know that there's not a bunch out there. And I know you've been very active in trying to recruit women and get more women engineers into the, the workforce. Can you talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah, that um, certainly in, in our industry, um, we we lack uh, women and in, in engineers and scientists. Actually, we, we lack diversity at all levels. And it's something that uh, we recognize as a problem. When I came in as a CEO, I made that one of my platforms is, you know, here we are moving into this new world. And with the fourth industrial revolution going on and all the profound changes, uh, you know, with a, a warming climate, um, you know, and, and, and its impacts on infrastructure, you know, with the storms and the heat and the fires and all of these things, we need to make a lot of important decisions and we need to make a lot of important decisions rather rapidly. And I know that the more diversity we have at every level of a company, and I've found that to be true on my board of directors and executive committees, the more diverse group I have, the better decisions you make. So extrapolate that when I stepped in was we need to get diversity better at Gannett Fleming. We need to make it a a platform so that we can make those decisions and be the very best that we can be. So we did quite a few things. Um, And I'll get to your point. You know, we when diversity and inclusion and formed a committee and hired a consultant to come in and we took a lot of actions that mattered. And those actions start to change the um, the group of people that we were hiring became more diverse and very successful. We're on a journey and we're not where we need to be. I know that. But one of the things that happened through this was the development of employee resource groups. We call them ERGs. 
We have four of them. And one of them was connected women. And this is getting to your point, Jim, is specifically about women. This is where we support employee. This is their idea. Employees came up with this. And um, they wanted to have this organization where they could get together and support each other and help women be successful in their careers at Gannett Fleming. I looked at this and thought, wow. So we'll have a board and committees and what an opportunity for leadership that doesn't exist. So I'm, I'm thinking this is a, a very good thing. And so we support this and we start this. What I didn't realize, the power of this, when once we got this thing rolling, overnight, Connected Women established a connected ambassador in all 65 offices. The network galvanized itself. They set on a task to do, I think it was Dress for Success. I have never seen something so quickly be so successful in my life. It was amazing, the power of these women that got together and drove this idea. And it really comes, again, into a question of culture, I think, because yeah. top, it's not a top-down mandate per se. It was opening the door to that conversation and saying, this is where we want to go as a direction. But then it became self-directed by the employees. Getting back to your idea of thought leadership needs to be imbued into each employee that they feel that not they have mandated. ownership. Not mandated. Yeah, you own it. It's, it's just part of It's who we owned are. by the employees mm-hmm. in that sense. And that's what's great about it. I know some of these women oh. and they're phenomenal. Oh, it, you are spot on on that. And I've often joked that the worst thing we could do is corporate get in and try to take control over this. All we need to do is, you know, is just support this. Um, but it has been really effective for us. It's helped grow our, our women at Gannett Fleming. It's helped attract and retain them. Absolutely. So much so that, and this is a, a, a thing of pride. We have our clients have called us and said, we, we've heard what you've done. We've seen what you're doing. Can you come and teach us how to do that at my organization? So we've won awards on this, and we're helping our clients do these things. And I I have to at least put this in here. One of the things that they've done for the company was developed a mentoring program. And honestly, if you ask CEOs around the country about mentoring programs, the first thing they'll tell you is almost all of them fail. They just do. This has been phenomenally successful. Again, not corporately run. They match up pairs. They provide instructions and guidance. And a nine, it takes nine months to go through the mentoring thing. Phenomenally successful. Over 400 people have been mentored in our company. And it all came from empowering an ERG called Connected Women to, to make these changes again at Fleming. Hey, hey, Bob, these great employees are going to help you meet the needs in the future. And this is probably last one of the last topics we'll cover here. But how do you keep your eye on the horizon? What are the what are the forces out there that that you're looking at as being change agents in terms of the future that that Gannon Fleming's got to prepare for? Well, you know, I, I mentioned a little bit of this before um, on the on the technology side with the fourth industrial revolution, with artificial intelligence and mach- machine learning and ban- incredible bandwidth that allows us to move massive amount of data and tie systems together. We're not just talking about data systems together. It's going to allow us to do some incredible things. The implications on an engineer and how you design some things and um, the sophistication of your design is very profound. So 
you better be on the front edge of this and you better be learning. And we have an, for example, we have an IT company within Gana Fleming that does nothing but this and have that innovation engine with all that technology to dr- and help our engineers come up with this, these things. But again, in the face of this climate change, like I talked about the climate change and st- more severe storms, and we have infrastructure that has to be more resilient and more, you know, and stronger. And so we have all of, you know, we have all of these um, things going on. So you got to think forward. And and the last force that I'd like to mention is decarbonization is a big driver in our industry. So the idea of, you know, getting away from fossil fuels and um, going electric is profound implications on engineering. And so those are opportunities. And, you know, once in career type of opportunities of, you know, how do you get power? How do you build up um, a fleet of vehicles that are going to be electronic or a bus fleet that's going to be electric or transit trains that are going to be electric? How do you get power to them when you want to, you know, decarbonize? So it's renewables and renewables and microgrids. And how do you distribute that energy? And that's a, that's a, a big problem to solve. And some of these big things... Even as you as you address them again in Fleming, I know you've talked about this before, is that these are things that are also really important for your employees to be part of big projects, big issues, big solutions. Oh, that's right. You know, we want to be a company where that attracts the best. And so they see us looking forward, leaning into the change and not hanging on to what we are, but trying to become what you need to become to thrive in this. And we're willing to invest in that, so it, it attracts that entrepreneurial spirit. And so, it's it's it, to me, it's a it's a great thing. It's a fun thing. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Bob, and for sharing those insights with us. Oh, this has been a pleasure. Thanks for the thanks, thanks for the opportunity to talk with you. You bet. I'm Nell McCormack Abom, and I'm Jim Hohen, and this is C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Bob Scare, Chairman and CEO of Gannett Fleming. And thank you so much to our listeners for joining us for this episode of PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. You can find more episodes of C-Speak at witf.org slash C-Speak and on your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time.